You are listening to a message from Foothills Church in Miraville, Tennessee. More information about Foothills Church can be found online at foothillschurch.com. We want to give God everything today. He deserves everything. And uh, today we want to continue in our sermon series. If you've got your Bibles, let's go to Genesis chapter 1. As you do, a couple of announcements. Uh, We're hiring a couple of positions here at the church. And so uh, one is a facilities manager, someone to manage our property and our building and uh, someone organized that can lead that. And then also we're hiring a communication director, someone to oversee all of our social media website and uh, media uh, departments. And so uh, if you know someone, if you are interested, go to our website, click on jobs, and you'll see a description of what uh, that, um, what those jobs are. We'd love to uh, have you email your resume or have someone that's interested email their resume. I also want to just take a, a second to say thank you uh, for those of you who have, have been praying for our family as we've uh, been going through the loss of my mother and um, whether it's sending a text message, giving me a phone call, sending flowers, uh, whatever it, it, it was, I, I really greatly appreciate that. And I know my family does as well. My wife's uh, grandmother passed away yesterday. And so uh, grief has kind of become a, a guest in our house. And so we ask for your continued prayers. And, um, you know, I, I know today there's probably many people that are probably um, dealing with grief or loss or some other issue. And uh, I want to ask our section leaders, if you're serving as a section leader, would you stand up right now? And uh, you'll see these folks wearing blue t-shirts, and uh, they're here every single week. And so their uh, ministry is to serve those that are seated in their section. And so if you ever need prayer, if you ever have a question about the ministries of the church, if you have a question about how to get connected, if, if there's a decision that God places on your heart, or you bring a friend who wants to make a decision, then these section leaders are here for you. And, and of course, they can uh, help you connect to our care and prayer uh, room as well. And, and these are trained, awesome uh, volunteers. And so they're here for you. Thank you, guys. You can be seated. And so I just want to take a minute just to pray for those who, who might be going through something uh, similar or maybe dealing with a, a tragedy or a loss. And so would you just bow your heads and Uh, Let's ask God's blessing upon our time today. In fact, if you're here in this room and and you would say, you know, Lord, I need a a word of encouragement from you today. I I need a blessing. I I need to experience you. I'm going through either a relational issue or a thing at work or uh, just whatever it is that there's a season of of suffering in your life. You you just want to lift your hand to God today and just say, God, would you speak to me? God, would you uh, just give me a word of encouragement today? God, would you help me to know that your plan and your purpose is great? And Lord, even though we don't see it clearly right now, Lord, we trust in your love and your grace, that you are for us, not against us. God, would you answer the prayers and the cries of these people in the room today? Would you help them to feel your presence today? Would you give them uh, 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 just a, a, a warmth of love and grace today? And Father, we will worship you. We'll continue to serve you as we go through the various situations that this world uh, brings into our life. And so, Lord, speak to us today. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, we are in a sermon series um, on marriage and family that we've titled Wedlock. 
And the reason is because so many marriages seem to deal with a lack of love, a lack of peace, a lack of intimacy in their marriage. Um, They feel like they're alone. They feel like they're actually in prison. And so that's why we named the series Wed Lock. Feel like even though you live with this person, you feel isolated. You feel alone and you're not experiencing the joy and the love and the fun that you used to feel in this marriage or that you would hope to feel in that marriage. And so today, you know, you, you have all of these struggles. And, and so as a church, we've been walking through some scriptures that I, I pray have been helpful and encouraging. We talked about some keys uh, to a unified marriage, how to be on the same team in week one. We talked about the, the keys to a peaceful marriage, and we talked about conflict in a marriage and how that's just part of uh, every relationship. So how do we deal with that uh, last week? Next week, we're going to talk about uh, the keys to understanding your wife's deepest needs. And, and then uh, the final week on Father's Day, we'll talk about the keys of, of understanding your husband's deepest needs. And today, I want to spend some time talking to you about the keys uh, for a gospel-centered home. How do we make the gospel uh, the center of our home? And so whether you um, are a, a mother, a father of a young child, or, or maybe they are a grown adult, uh, maybe you're a grandparent, maybe uh, you're, you're a new stepmom or, or, or stepfather, um, wh- whatever situation you find yourself in today, I pray that it will be an encouraging day and help you understand how to do this in your, in your family. Parenting is a is a difficult task. Amen? I mean, it is just really, really hard. And just about the moment I feel like I'm getting the hang of one season, daggone it, they change and they grow and they're in a different season, right? And now I got to start from scratch again. And and it's just a very challenging uh, process in in our life. We we go one day from watching Dora the Explorer (laughs) and bribing our kids with M&Ms to pee-pee on the potty, to then all of a sudden the next day this sweet child who celebrated you now finds your very existence embarrassing. (laughs) They can't even be in the same room with you when there's other people around. One day you're asking your child, why does the color of the sippy cup matter? Just take it. Just use it. And the next day to your teenager, you're asking them, why are you in your room all the time? what are you doing in there? Come out with us. And, and then they come out with you. And then after a few minutes, you're like, go back in. Go do your thing. I didn't know that as a parent, I'd need a master's degree in logistics. I didn't know that I need to be a, a master planner, keeping track of the practices and the games and the homework and the tests and the activities and the birthday parties and the permission slips. Who could have predicted that these tiny babies would grow up and require so much paperwork? Managing attitudes and manners and bodily noises and raging hormones. I mean, it's just a challenging, challenging task. But if you've been blessed to have children, you have an amazing opportunity. My children are definitely, truly the the evidence of of God's grace in my life. And with every ounce of my being, I want to be a better father. And my wife wants to be a better mother, and I know you do too. You want to be a better parent, and so we want to grow in this, and we want to to, uh, raise godly kids who grow up to be godly adults and and who actually follow God's plan 
for their life. And so today, let's get some biblical guidance on what the whole purpose and role of a parent is. And, and let me share some keys to creating a gospel-centered home. Well, in the Bible, we want to start in the very beginning. So in Genesis chapter 1, we see our role even in the very beginning of creation. creation. He says this in verse 27. <clears throat> so God created man in his own image. Now that's a whole sermon series in teaching on the sanctity of life, preaching against racism, <laughs> that we are all created in the image of God. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. In one verse, here we have, you know, such a powerful uh, gospel-centered theology already. We, we see that God created male and female. So here's a sermon series on sexuality right here that our culture needs to hear. And then in verse 28, and God blessed them and God said to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it and have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over every living thing that moves on the earth. So in chapter 2, if you look one page over, we see the first wedding. God has created Adam and Eve, and he said, therefore, a man shall leave his father and his mother, in verse 24, and hold fast to his wife, and they will become one flesh. And the man and his wife were both naked and were not ashamed. So God created man to be in relationship with woman. He created and instituted marriage. And in this marriage, what we are saying is, I am vowing to God, I'm promising to God to love this woman as long as I live, to care for her and to serve her as long as I live, no matter what happens. She's saying the same to me. I'm promising to God, I'm promising to her. And then in this union, this one flesh union, we multiply and we fill the earth. And so this is part of our, of our existence as humans to, to do this. And, and, and I love that part about being human, to, to multiply. And, 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 and that's a whole sermon series right there, right? And all the guys want me to talk more about that. But, but the idea for us is, okay, we're going to be fruitful. We're going to multiply. Therefore, we become parents. And then the next phrase, he says, and I'm, I want you to subdue the earth. Subdue the earth. Now, the Hebrew word there translated subdue means to cultivate the earth, govern the earth, rule the earth. And so as we govern it, as we rule it, as we cultivate it, what we're doing is we're creating culture. When you think about the word agriculture, it comes from the Latin word cultura. And in that word, we think of plowing and tilling and, and planting and, and sowing. And, and that's what it means to cultivate the earth, agriculture. Right? And so when we create culture, we are doing what God created us to do as human beings, creating culture. And so it's, it's really what we do with the world around us. And so we plow and we build and we invent and we imagine and we create and we tear down and we replace and we compose and we design and we engineer things. Culture doesn't refer to the created world. It refers to what humans do with their created world. And so, yes, we plow and dig, but we also create and we create environments 
and we create cultures. This is what it means to be human. God created us in the very beginning to do this. And so think about it for a moment. And I know we're in kind of, kind of theory now and kind of building a biblical framework. We're going to get real practical here in a minute. But everywhere you go has a culture. Your family has a culture. Your office environment has a culture. Your school has a culture. Our church has a culture. And when you think about America, we have an American culture, large, right? It's different than a European culture. Our values and belief systems are different, and the way that we interact is different. And then even in America, there is, there's subcultures within America. You've got the North and, and, and that culture and the Southern culture. is very different, right? And even in the South, there's subcultures. You have, you know, Tennessee culture versus uh, culture in Florida, very different. And then in Tennessee, you have West Tennessee and East Tennessee, very different. And even in East Tennessee, there are subcultures. And so there's Knox County and, and Blount County, very, very subtle differences there. And even in Blount County, there are different cultures, right? You, you've got the city of Maryville, which is different than other parts of the county. And in Maryville, you've got East Maryville and West Maryville that are subtle differences in culture. And in West Maryville, you have different pockets of, of communities or neighborhoods, and they have their own culture. And, and inside those neighborhoods, you live and I live, and in our home, we have different cultures. And so we live in this culture, and we create culture. It's our job then as parents to understand the culture that we live in and to think about the culture that we live in because the culture impacts our worldview. It impacts our belief system. And when it impacts what we believe and what we value, then that in turn affects how we create culture. Every single one of you has created a culture at home, either on purpose or by accident. You are helping create a culture at work, and you're helping us create a culture here in our church. This is what it means to subdue and be human and govern and create the culture in this world. And so cultures are created by people who have belief systems. We call that a worldview, and our worldview is made up based upon your beliefs about God, your beliefs about morality, what's right, what's wrong. Your belief system is made up of what you think is worthy of your love, worthy of your attention, what you think is good, what you think is bad. And so we make decisions and we live life based out of that worldview. You with me? That's why cultures in our world are so different. The apologist Ravi Zacharias says, in some cultures, people love their neighbors, and in other cultures, people eat their neighbors. (laughs) It's all different. You know, we have different values and different belief systems. That's why there are so many different cultures. Now, why is this important, Trent? Why are you talking about this? Well, I think it's important because you and I are living in this culture. And if you are married and you have kids, you are raising a family in this culture. And the culture that you live in shapes your beliefs. It shapes your thoughts. It shapes your worldview. And we get so familiar with culture and what we think is right that sometimes we don't step back and actually examine if it's a gospel-centered worldview or a worldly worldview. Does that make sense? And so when you are raised, for instance, in an abusive family, and as you are living in that culture, in that family home environment, you are raised and you don't know any different. You think this is how a dad treats his son or his daughter. 
This is how parents interact. This is what happens to kids. And you don't realize it's not normal, or you don't realize that things need to be changed until you kind of grow up and, and you mature. And hopefully you've recognized that because you've examined that scenario and realized that things need to be different. Right? And so we have to do the job as parents, as leaders, we've got to do the job of examining the culture around us and to understand how it is impacting our worldview Because as we create culture, either intentionally or unintentionally, the environments and the experiences that we give to our kids matter. It actually shapes their beliefs. It shapes their world view. We've got to do the hard work of Genesis 2 and subduing the earth. And so some people, here's how this kind of practically works out. You look at the culture and you are scared to death of the culture. And so you overprotect your kids. And so you don't let them hang out with people who don't go to your church. You don't let them see movies or have phones or go to, you know, uh, summer camps. You want to isolate them. You want to protect them. You have all of these rules. You have all of these legalistic things. And and you're always quoting scripture. And and you're just overprotective so that your kids are fearful of culture and the world around them. Culture is bad. And our little holy huddle is good and what we want to live for. And then they grow up and they don't know how to interact with the world around them with the social problems and issues that are around them without being weird. And not only that, but when they go to college, when they leave so many rules and so much legalism and they view God as being an angry guy all the time and and, and they see Religion as a bunch of rules and not about a relationship. They go to college and now all of a sudden they have all this freedom. Woo! Nobody's here. Nobody's got a thumb on my head. I've got all this freedom. Now what? Now I don't know how, I don't know what to do with myself. Yeah, I'm going to say yes to this. I'm going to say yes to that. I'm going to give myself to her. I'm going to give myself to him. I'm going to do all this stuff because I hadn't been experiencing any of this stuff. Nobody's talked to me about this. I've been overprotective. And now I listen to my college professor and he sounds more convincing than mom did, or that mom does. And so we overprotect, and that creates kids who grow up in a culture at home of overprotection and safety, and they don't know how to interact with people. Or you're on the other side, and you don't think about it, and you don't deal with it. And so you, you basically give your kids way too much freedom. Here's a phone, here's the internet, go down in the basement and have fun, right? Yeah, have your girlfriend over. You go in the basement with her too. Take lots of blankets. You guys stay there. We're going to go upstairs, right? Way too much freedom. And so now your kids are inundated with pop culture. They're learning from 10 hours on their, on their phone or on, on a TV because that's the latest statistic, 10 hours on a screen every day. That's not just kids. That's all of us. And so we're, we're, we're being impacted by the culture through all of these advertisements, through all of the media and, and things that we're seeing and, 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 and being exposed to, and even at a young age. And so we give away too much freedom. And then, obviously, that worldview that they have learned through all of that media, through movies, their idea of what marriage should be, their idea of what dating should look like, all comes from Hollywood, all comes from books, all comes from social media and their friends. And so where is the gospel? Where is a gospel-centered view of how to live life, of how to interact with the world, of how to, how, how to understand how social issues matter to God, how we understand how we're supposed to believe and how we're supposed to behave. Let's just pretend that the gospel is this large bucket here. 
and everything in the world fits inside of this bucket. So that our understanding and beliefs about sexuality fit in the gospel bucket. In other words, we understand sexuality based upon the gospel, what we know to be true from God's word. And so my worldview and my belief system is not only impacted, but it is grounded in what the gospel says, what the word of God says. And so my political stance or my political ideals don't just come from what I think or pop culture. I view them in the, in the bucket of the gospel. And so everything goes in there. My my relationships, my career path is filtered and and, and put into the gospel bucket. What do we do? Even Christians, what we like to do is we like to take our view of sexuality and we like to then go get this gospel bucket and we like to bring it alongside and try to fit it inside of our view. Well, it doesn't fit. Any view of sexuality outside of the gospel is a perverted view of sexuality. When you look at the Bible, it's not just a bunch of old books. This is one story. It's, it's, it's the story from Gen- Genesis to Revelation. It's, it's the gospel. It's the good news. And it starts in creation. It explains the fall of mankind, why there is suffering, why there is death, why, why there is evil. We don't understand it outside of the gospel. And then we also see the plan of redemption and the story of how God reconciles his creation to himself in the life of a promised Messiah and then the Messiah coming. And then it also closes with, here's how it's all going to end. Here's what the future is going to look like. So in light of this story, in light of God's plan of redemption and salvation, the gospel story, we understand everything in culture. We get a glimpse of what it means and how we should live our life. And so when we look to the words of Jesus, and if you've got your Bibles, flip over to John 17, we see how we're supposed to interact with this culture. We see how we're supposed to teach our kids to interact in this culture. Are we to isolate ourselves from it and to be afraid of it and run from it, create little holy huddles and cocoon our children from all of these evil bad things, or do we prepare them to engage this culture? Jesus says this, look at verse 13. He says, but now I'm coming to you, and these things I speak in the world, that they may have joy fulfilled in themselves. Just pause there. That's important. You want to experience joy. You want to understand what true happiness is. He's about to tell us how we get that. Here's why he, this is why he is saying, and here's how we get it. Verse 14, he says, I have given them your word. I've given them God's word. And the world has hated them because they are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. I do not ask that you take them out of the world, but that you keep them from the evil one. They are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. Sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. And as you sent me into the world— So I have sent them into the world, and for their sake I consecrate myself, that they also may be sanctified in truth. So what he is saying here is that you and I as followers of Christ, we are not of the world. In other words, we don't act like the world. We're not 
created for this world. We're created for a future city and a future world, eternity with him for all time. This is a season of our eternal existence. So we are not of the world, and we are not to live like we are of the world. So therefore, I'm not going to take what is popular in our culture to believe what's right and wrong and just adopt that into my worldview. No, I'm going to view this culture in light of the gospel, and then I'm going to have beliefs and value systems. And as we do that, now we're beginning to create gospel-centered worldviews. Then we're able to create gospel-centered cultures. Jesus says, I don't ask that you take them out of the world. I don't, I'm not going to isolate my family. I'm not going to isolate myself. I'm going to help them engage culture. Why? He says, I'm not taking them out. I'm actually sending them into the world. I'm sending them into the world, right? Maybe you would think Jesus would say, hey, you're not of the world, so let's go over here and just form a big wall and let's just all live in that and not let anybody that's different than us come in that place and we'll just make sure we're all really, really good to each other and we'll just forget about it. He doesn't say that. No, he says we're not of the world, but we're not going to isolate ourselves. We're actually being sent into the world. We've been rescued from the darkness and given the light, not simply to run away from the darkness, but to guide our steps back into the darkness to help rescue those who are still living there. So we are not of the world, but we are sent into the world. And Jesus says, sanctify them. What's that mean? It just means change me, transform me, make me more like Jesus. And so as I am changed, as I am transformed, Romans 12, 2, do not be conformed to the pattern of this world, to the pattern of this culture, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. So my mind is being renewed. How? He says, the truth, which is the word of God. So the word of God transforms my worldview. It transforms my beliefs. It transforms how I interact with the world. It transforms how I make decisions. I read it. I soak it up. I learn it. I apply it. I go out into the world and I engage the world and I live it out. And as I live it out, I learn it more. And as I apply it more, I grow more. I become more mature. I experience more joy in life and, 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 and more purpose in life. And so His truth sanctifies us. His truth transforms us. His truth renews our mind, and our understanding of him grows deeper. And so, when you apply all of this to parenting, here's the goal of parenting. The goal is to raise children that live not of the world, but are sent into the world. So I want to raise kids that begin to learn how not to live of the world, but I want them to live in such a way that they can, they can live on mission in the world. That's the whole point. They're going to grow up. They're going to move out. They're going to have a, a spouse potentially, have kids potentially of their own. They're going to create their own culture in their home, their own cultures at work and neighborhoods and churches. That's how we're, we're, we're sending them into the world, right? So we've got to prepare them. That's the whole goal. So how do we do that? We're not going to isolate ourselves and be fearful of culture. 
We're going to be intentional. We're going to help them experience the culture and engage the culture through a gospel-centered world view. So how do we do this? Well, as I said, we're going to create this gospel-centered culture at home. And, and, and as we do that, we realize that that doesn't happen overnight. You don't just go home today and say, all right, got a gospel-centered culture, and here we go. No, what it does mean is that you realize that rhythms and habits establish cultures. It's not just what you say, and it's not just what you believe. It's the rhythms and the habits of your family life that develop culture at home. Same is true at school. Same is true at work. What are the rhythms and what are the habits of your, of your uh, co-workers? And it's from those habits and rhythms that culture is created. We're called to subdue and create culture as humans. So mom, dad, we've got to create a gospel-centered culture. And so let me give you three rhythms to help you do that. Number one, create a rhythm for spiritual growth. Create a rhythm for spiritual growth. So Deuteronomy 6, read this thousands of times. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength. These commandments that I give you today are to be on your hearts. So parents, these commands, this truth, this gospel, this story has to be on your heart. Verse 7, impress them on your children. Talk about them when you're at home and when you walk along the road and when you lie down and when you get up. He's talking about rhythms. Have a rhythm that you're going to be able to teach and train your kids how to love Jesus and serve other people, how to be of the world and to be, and, and, and to be sent into the world. And so what is this uh, uh, at-home culture looking like for you? What do you do at home to impress a spiritual life and growth in your kid's life? When you're walking along the road or aka when you're driving in the car, what does that look like? What are they listening to? What are you talking about? you using those opportunities. When they go to bed, is there a bedtime routine if you've got little kids? You know, when they wake up in the morning, what does that rhythm look like? You've got to be intentional. You've got to think about that culture that you want to create because it's out of that rhythm that this culture will be established. And so um, if you're taking notes, you've got to prioritize spiritual development. And here are a few ways to do that. So let's just get super practical. And so if you're a grandparent, step-parent, whatever parent or whatever age, you need to filter what I'm saying through your, your situation. What does this look like as a grandparent? What does this look like with a preschooler, with a middle schooler, or a college student, or a grown adult? How are you going to develop rhythms of spiritual growth? So I would say easy, church attendance <laughs> creates a rhythm in your family's life. And so it's why we do church on Sunday morning, every Sunday morning at the same time. We don't do it one week on Sunday, the next week on Monday, and the next week, hey, we're going to do it on Thursday this week. No, we want to develop a rhythm in our life and in your life so that you are experiencing this rhythm and your kids wake up and they know it's Sunday and we're going to church. And there's not a, oh, I'm tired. I don't know. You think we should go? I don't know. What do you guys think? Well, I don't know. When you... No, we know. It's who we are. It's what we do. We go to church. Now, some of you come once a month. Some of you come, you know, twice a month. So I would say there needs to be a consistent rhythm there. Your kids, if they're in preschool or elementary school next door, they are experiencing a godly adult investing the Word of God into their life. They are building relationships. They get about an hour and 10 minutes every Sunday of that. It's incredible. But if you think an hour and 10 minutes is all they need to engage this culture and to have a gospel-centered worldview, 
you are lying to yourself. They need way more. They need way more. So attendance on a regular basis. And then you're going to create rhythms of, of, of relational discipleship. And so that's where, where small groups come into play. And so as an adult, I need, other, I need other adults in my life who are speaking into my life. I need that opportunity to speak into their life. And then my kids are also around those other adults. And so who those adults are are important. I want them to be around other adults that I would say, yeah, live like that. Those are good. Be around those adults. And, and that's why Wednesday nights is important for, for middle school and high schoolers, because as they grow up, you're going to want to enlarge in your circle of influence on your kids, because here's the deal. There's going to be a day when your middle school or high schooler doesn't listen to you. Shocker, I know. Shocker. You're going to say, the sky is blue. And they're going to be like, not at night. <laughs> not always. Sometimes it's gray, you know? They're going to argue about everything. But here's the deal. If you've widened the circle of influence in their life, there are godly leaders, adult leaders in this church, who are in relationship with them. And guess what? They are going to listen to them. And they're going to say the same things that you're saying, and you're going to have a relationship with them, and you're going to, as a community, help your kids develop this gospel-centered worldview. And so this is why small groups are so valuable for students, why it's so valuable for you. So church attendance, small group, and then family devotion. What does your family devotion look like? Is it non-existent? You know, some families do it every day. Some families do it once a week. Maybe you're once a month. But is there a moment, is there a time, I don't care how old your kids are, if they are in your house, that you gather in the living room or on the kitchen table and everybody opens up their Bible and they read the Word of God. And as a father, as a mother, you're explaining it, you're applying it, and then you are praying over your kids. You do that consistently. And that will create a culture that honors the gospel and helps your students, helps your kids think about the world with a gospel mentality and worldview. Right? So we've got small groups, we've got church attendance. What else we got? We got personal devotion. Have you helped and equipped your kids to have a personal devotion? Because, listen, if all they do is they hear you preach and they hear me preach for, you know, whatever time, and they're not feeding themselves, and this is true for you guys as well as adults, like if you're not feeding yourselves, then you're, when you're faced with the tough issues that this world has to offer, it, you're, you're going to feel empty. You're not going to be equipped to be able to answer questions. You're not going to be equipped. Your faith is going to be rocked. When you go through a season of suffering, you're going to be like, ah, ah, I don't know what I'm doing, you know? And so this personal devotion feeds yourself. And so at a, at a, my kids were babies, even before they, they knew what was happening. We were opening the storybook Bible. We were reading the story. The serpent was getting his head crushed every night in our house, and it was beautiful and amazing. And I would cry, and we would pray together, and it would be awesome. And then as they grew up and they learned how to read, all right, here's an age-appropriate devotion. Here's what you do. You read this. You think about it. Jot down a few notes. Maybe a prayer journal. You talk to God about what's going on in your life. You ask him for whatever is going on in your life, and you give him your devotion. This is what a personal devotion is. And you give, you give the Lord 10, 15, 20 minutes, an hour, I don't know, uh, of your day to where you prioritize that growth. And so as my kids have become older, as high schoolers and middle schoolers now, there's age-appropriate devotions that they, they go through. And I can't make them do that. I encourage it. And I ask about it, and sometimes it comes out, and sometimes it's, it's great conversation, and sometimes it's not there. But the encouragement and the direction has to be given. This helps develop a culture of, of gospel-centeredness in your home. All right, so prioritize spiritual development. Secondly, 
create a rhythm for open communication. Open communication. So you want to create a, a, a rhythm where open discussion of ideas, of questions, of world events is happening in your family. I know a lot of people, when something on the news comes on, they will immediately turn the channel. I don't want my, my kids to be exposed. I've got to protect them from what's happening, right? Now, certainly age and whatever it is maybe have something to do with it, but why not leave it there? Let them see it. And then ask them, how do you feel about that? What do you think God thinks about that? Here's what the Bible says about it. And now I'm having open discussion. And now I'm helping them develop a worldview that is gospel-centered so that when they are in college and someone critiques a Christian worldview or the Bible, they're not afraid or weird or awkward or ill-equipped. They've already thought about it with you when they were 9 and 10 and 12 and whatever teenage year you know, they've already dealt with, they've always already wrestled with that. You know how many kids I've seen go to college who grew up in the church, their parents were legalists and they were so hard on them, they got that freedom and they abandoned faith. Well, they didn't abandon faith. They never had it to begin with. They never had it. And so, so the point then is to help them wrestle with things at a younger age and why your influence is stronger. And, 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 and wider. So we create a rhythm for communication. So in order to do that, in order to have these discussions, we need rhythms. We need habits. So think about the current rhythm of your life. Maybe it looks like this. After work and school, you get home. Maybe it's 5.30ish, right? Your kids have been home. You have from that 5.30ish moment until they go to bed, maybe 10. I don't know if you have little kids, 9 o'clock. So you have four or five hours tops at night to like be with them. And then, oh, by the way, sometimes you're late. So that's like seven o'clock. And so the time is shortened. And oh, by the way, if they have homework or a test or they play sports or they've got a hobby, then they're gone. And now I got about an hour, right? And then, oh, I'm on, the, I'm on my screen 10 hours a day. So boom, maybe I don't have any conversation with them. That's that's the current culture, but we have Saturday and Sunday off, so boom, we got all that time, but, but then our culture fills Saturdays with sports and travel and AAU, and so we're going doing that and traveling here and there, and, and then Sunday's kind of, you know, kind of washed in as well if, if, if you don't, you know, make it a priority, and so, I mean, your time with your kids is very limited. Well, we're not of the world. We need a different family culture. You've got to examine the culture that you've created and the schedule that you've created from a gospel-centered worldview. And don't just absorb the schedule that all the other people in the world have absorbed and live. We've got to examine it. We've got to see it clearly. So here are a few practical things. Eat together. More and more I talk to people, the more and more I see this not happening. So simple. But it's either we don't eat together, we're eating fast food, we're scattered, or we eat and we watch TV while we eat. That's a terrible rhythm. We, we eat together as a family almost every single night. Now, during basketball season, it's different. And when the Cavs are playing, it's a little different. But apart from that, every night, you want to gather. We, we, we make that a tech-free zone. No, no, no phones, no TV. And it's open for conver conversation. Sometimes it's great conversation. And sometimes 
they're in bad moods, and it's not great. But the point is we have quantity time there because there is a rhythm that we eat together. Nobody comes downstairs and says, we're eating together? I don't want to eat together. I want to eat in my room. They don't even, that has never happened. Now, it may happen because I said it today, but it's never happened. They come down, it's like, oh, yeah, we're eating, and we sit here, and we eat, and then we're done, right? And we talk, and that's just, that's a rhythm. We eat together. We create tech-free zones at at the dinner table. Um, We also think through and set technological limits on our kids. Like, what are some of those limits that we've got to to provide for our kids? Well, I think it's important for you to think about, you know, what about their bedrooms? Are they able to take their laptops, their devices into their bedroom? And do they have Safari on their phone? You can take that off, by the way. I hope you know that. Um, do, Do they have complete internet access and then they go in the rooms and they shut their doors. You, you're setting yourself over a lot of trouble if that's the culture that you've created, that it's okay to do that. There are a lot of apps. There's so many great things that you could use, either a filter or the Circle app to kind of manage some of their time. You can turn it off whenever you want. These are great tools, right? And so we want to we limit that. We want to know passwords. Listen, if you aren't checking your kids' cell phones on a regular basis, basis, I believe that's a form of child abuse because you're not properly protecting your kids from a world that is influencing them heavily. Eight years old is when your kids first experience pornography. That's the stat, right? And if you've given this freedom to your kids and they're in the room and they're everywhere and there's no, there's no guidance there, and there's no conversation about sexuality. There's no conversation about racism. There's no conversation about the sanctity of life. There's no conversation about being sent into the world. I mean, what are we doing as parents? We're just, we're, we're just like the world. But Jesus says we're, we're not of it, but we're sent into it. My kids, every single one of their phones has my thumbprint on it. Bing! Check it whenever I want, Right? And that go through, they know that can happen. Now, some of you might say, sounds a little overprotective, Trent. You sound like the guy you were making fun of earlier about being overprotective, but that is my phone. I, I bought that for them. Therefore, they get to use it whenever I choose, they get to use it. But everything on it belongs to me, everything. And so, so there's no right to privacy when I pay for it and you live in my home. You get that, right? And, and, and so, and listen, Preachers, kids, in, in spite of what some of you believe, they don't sit around singing gospel hymns and polishing their halos. Like, we find stuff, you know, and we got to deal with it. And that's just, part of, that's, that's just part of creating a culture in your home that knows, okay, if I do this or do this, it's quite possible that something's going to happen in a negative way. And so, so we know that, and we deal with that. Now listen, you set the parental settings, you get the filters, you check the phones, you do all this stuff, and guess what? Your kids are still going to experience pornography. They're still going to have uh, questions about their identity. They're still going to question sexuality because we're inundated by our culture, and it is just everywhere. You can't protect them. You can't filter everything out, but you can have conversations with them, and you can have open dialogue. And you can, through the rhythms of your life, when you're eating together, when you're at church, and when you're at small group, 
and we like to do date nights with our kids, so I take my daughters one-on-one, so that one-on-one time is built into our rhythm, and my wife will take my son one-on-one time, and, and I'll go on, on weekend trips, man trips with my son, just got back from one, or, or with my daughters, you know, and those, those happen, you know, maybe once a quarter, or once every six months or something, but, but it's built in, we think about it, it's part of our rhythm, and it's in those moments that we have this dialogue, and we set ourselves up, and we're not perfect. And we're doing a lot of things wrong. But these are just hopefully ideas and, and, and hopefully helping you see that you've got to prepare them for when they face these things, not just deal with them after the fact because culture's already pressing in on them. Culture's already teaching them. And as a parent, we're called to subdue the earth. We're called to create culture. And this is what it means. And then number three, create a rhythm for fun. Have fun with your kids. Have fun with them. Rules without relationship equals rebellion. You've heard that before. And so we've got to have fun with our kids. And so that's part of our rhythm too. What are we doing this month to have fun that doesn't involve a screen? We can go outside. We can take walks. That doesn't cost money. We can do things that cost money as well. We, we can do things that, that they enjoy and we can enjoy it with them. And out of that relationship that we build with them, conversations are easier and less awkward. And I'm able to speak into their life in a more free way. And this is what it means to parent. It is not easy. It is challenging. It is difficult. It is awkward. It is embarrassing when they act up. It is every single level of emotion that God created us to experience, but it can be a glorious thing. And if you do this, and if you still continue to parent as a grandparent, and you still press into your kids no matter how old they are, and you create rhythms for your entire family, your kids will grow up and they will call you blessed. They will praise you. They will thank you. Oh, today they're going to whine and they're going to gripe and they're going to call you names, and they're going to hurt your feelings, and you're going to get angry. Just put your earbuds in and walk away and count to 10. It's just a phase. It's just a stage, right? And we keep the rhythm. We keep the habit. And we know to raise children, the goal is to raise children that live not of the world but are sent into the world. You're called to create and cultivate culture in your home. Rhythms and habits create culture. And so you're going to create a rhythm for spiritual growth. You're going to create a rhythm for open communication. You're going to create a rhythm for fun. And just so you know, in case you forget, this only lasts a moment. It is here today, and it is gone tomorrow. As frustrating as this season of parenting is for your life, it will be gone before you realize it. It flies by. The older they get, the faster it goes. The older I get, the faster life goes. And you're going to miss these moments. I don't want you to miss the opportunity that you have today to create a gospel-centered home. Pray with me, please. Father, we want to ask you today to give us boldness to lead our families and children well. God, we want to pray for those men in the room who are scared to death to do a family devotion or who feel ill-equipped to lead 
his wife spiritually. God, would you give him faith and boldness to do the hard work of subduing the earth and cultivate the culture that you've called him to. For the single mom in the room who feels like she's all alone or feels like she's, she's overwhelmed and can't do this, would you realize, help her realize today, God, that you have in fact called her and equipped her and love her to do the very things we've talked about today, that she can do this, that she can raise godly kids that are not of the world, but that are sent into the world. Would you help the grandparents in the room today not to get self-absorbed in retirement life and taking it easy and forget about the fact that their grandchildren need more than sugar in their life? that they would, in fact, instill a gospel-centered culture within their home as they minister to and love those grandchildren. For stepmoms and stepdads in the room who feel ill-equipped as well, who, who don't know boundaries, who, who, who might feel a little awkward in that endeavor, God, would you give them the grace to lead? Give them the passion and the love that they need. Would you give them the relationship that they need? And, and I am sure that struggle is real for them today. And would marriages be united around this endeavor? God, would you raise up families in this church that truly change culture in their homes? Because we know those cultures will transform neighborhoods and schools in offices and churches and leaders will grow and kids will become adults and those equipped children who become adults will become leaders in this world and that will change this world. So Father, let us see it. Give us the grace for it. Give us the love for it. Give us the passion for it. And help us to step out faithfully today. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening. More information about Foothills Church can be found online at foothillschurch.com.